turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be talking a little bit about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be. And once you've found it, then go ahead and stand and honor the reading of the scripture. Um, Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we'll, we'll begin reading in verse, tw- in verse 19 and read down through verse 25. Uh, this is the fourth message in our mini-series. I wasn't intending for it to become a mini-series um, on the importance of local church in your life. And uh, I think we need it in a culture that's trying to minimize the priority of church. And we need to hear messages on something that Jesus Christ himself died for. And uh, one passage that you have to deal with if, if you're going to be talking about the church, um, I believe, is Hebrews chapter 10, especially when we get down to verse 25. So we'll, we'll begin in verse 19 and read down through verse 25. It says, having therefore brethren, and by the way, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm a preacher. I've got to stop and talk before I get three words in. Um, therefore is referring to the first 18 verses of the chapter, and therefore is pointing back to the fact that Jesus Christ is better than the old sacrifices. That Jesus Christ died once and for all for every man and every woman and every child's sin, and that's better. And knowing that he died for our sins, he says, having therefore brethren, so he's speaking to those that are saved, boldness to enter into the the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is good stuff. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And this is, man, this is a rich, these are rich verses here. I wish I had more time to really go through the first part of Hebrews 10. But let me just start by saying this, then we'll pray and get into it. Church isn't one of those things that you live with. Church is one of those things that you can't live without. And we're in a day and age that's saying you don't need church. There's an old way that's better. But according to the scripture, we spiritually will not last if we don't align ourselves with the community of believers. Jesus gave us the church. It is here for our benefit. It's here for our help. And we live in a culture that's trying to push it away. But I'm telling you, we need it now so much the more, the Bible says. And I want to preach on that thought so much the more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your your word I pray that you'd help us, Lord, help me to clearly convey this message and help us to have clarity as we listen. I pray that you'd apply it and help us then to be willing to submit to whatever your truth tells us to do. I thank you for your your word. I pray that you bless the reading of it. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. You You may be seated. Thank you. 
Mark Twain once said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It, It is the parts that I do understand. And I thought, man, that's such a true statement. We, you know, we may have questions about certain things in the Bible that we don't get, that we don't understand. Um, but our biggest problem is not the things we don't understand. Our biggest problem is doing the things we do understand. And I think this is especially true when it comes to, to the truth about our commitment to a local church. Uh, we're becoming an isolated culture. I think we would all agree to that to some, to some level. The pandemic, I'm going to try my best not to say the C word. I'm just going to say the pandemic. It certainly contributed to that isolation. Some people spent months, some spent years, some are still spending time with very little human contact out of fear of the pandemic. We were encouraged to create space between ourselves and others. And, and listen, I'm not downplaying that it was a real virus that impacted real lives. That's not my point today. I'm saying that it's amazing what the devil will use to cause us to draw back and be isolated from each other. And I believe the last few years have contributed more to isolation than just about any time. I, we were encouraged to create space. Uh, masks veiled the part of us that makes us the most human. I'm not saying that a, a mask can't have a place in certain situations. Um, but I think a lot of it was motivated uh, not just by health. But there were other things that were motivating um, this push for masks. And whether or not they help, that's not my point today. Um, The point that I'm making is when you cover your face, you cover the part of you that's most human. And there's a lack of connection that is made. Um, It it seems like 2020, and I'm not, this is not a political message. I'm not talking about the pandemic. I almost said it. I'm not talking about it as it comes to politics. I'm talking about how it applies to church. And it seems that 2020 fundamentally changed the way that some people view their commitment uh, to a local church. And in the middle of all that, you know, to contribute more to it, a live stream uh, became a thing. Every church now, basically just about every church is live streamed uh, on, on the internet. And we didn't have live stream. Our internet wasn't quite fast enough when we started. And about halfway through, uh, we would, well, we would record the messages, then post them at the right times. But about halfway through that four or five weeks, we started live streaming. And, and, and even though we resumed in-person gatherings, we've continued to live stream. And now there are people who legitimately use and need a live stream. I'm not saying that it's, that it's wrong, that it's inherently bad. It's not. There are elderly folks in our church who can't get out. I'm thankful that they have live stream. We have many of them watching even this morning. I'm so thankful that they can feel some kind of connection still to our church even if they can't get out. There are those that are shut in. There are those caregivers of those who can't get out and be here in our services. There are those at times who are sick and they can't attend. There are those who may be traveling and and they don't have an opportunity. Now, I would say this. I still believe there's value in attending church when you're out of town. Uh, I believe that still sends a good message to our children and and it still helps us. Livestream is a viable and legitimate help in certain situations. And at the same time, I don't know that anyone would say that church is the same 
through a screen. See, being in a room makes you a participant. You, you feel the pressure to engage because other people do. I mean, at home, I could be in my pajamas and I could sit in my recliner and lay back if I need to and watch the service. Um, but if I was in my pajamas laying back on the pew during church right here, you'd be looking at me funny. I mean, it, so the fact that I'm in a room with other people, it, it's a little bit of peer pressure. It's like, oh, everyone else is standing up. I probably ought to stand up. I, everyone else is, is singing. I probably ought to at least look like I'm singing. There, see, our, our goal in every service is participation. It, it's not our goal that people come and, spit and simply watch. Uh, we want to take you from spectator to participant. And when you watch a screen, you're passively sitting there watching media and you may react to what's going on, but you don't influence or impact what's going on. You're simply taking it in. Not to mention the loss of personal connection. I read John Stott, who's a, a well-known theologian commentator. He wrote this in 1982. This is so interesting. And in a book called I Believe in Preaching, he said this, 1982. He said, it is difficult to imagine the world in the year 2000 by which time versatile microprocessors are likely to be as common as simple calculators are today. This will lead to the probable reduction of human contact as the new electronic network renders personal relationships ever less necessary. In such a dehumanized society, the fellowship of the local church will become increasingly important, whose members meet one another and talk and listen to one another in person rather than on screen. In this human context of mutual love, the speaking and hearing of the word of God is also likely to become more necessary for the preservation of our humanness, not less. John Stott is a prophet, is he not? See, he knew something that's universally true. And he, what he knew is that everything tends to devolve. Everything tends to get worse. Don't believe the evolution lie, by the way. Things are not getting better. Uh, evolution says that things will continually get better. But no, more information is at our fingertips than has ever been. We're, we're more enlightened, we might say. We, are more, we, we should be more unified. But we're more fragmented than we've ever been. And if education was the answer to everything, like you would hear the experts say, we would live in utopia because we've never been more educated than we are right now, but things are worse than they've ever been, so education clearly is not the answer. And as we become fragmented as a society, that spills over into our view, our perceived need for a church family. We think we can be a lone ranger and be just fine. And we think that uh, we, need, we don't need God's plan, his New Testament plan, uh, which is the church. We think that we don't need God's plan for growth, um, but that's not true. In the same way that it wasn't true for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 to say, well, what, we know that's God's plan, but we have a pretty good plan, and I think our plan will end up being just as good as God's plan. It wasn't true. And when they forsook God's plan for their own plan, we're still paying for that decision. 
See, so this, listen, God made you to function in a community of believers. And the strength of your faith, according to this passage here, and we'll look at this, the strength of your faith is dependent on your connection to a local church. And that's what Hebrews 10 is about. These Jewish believers had come out of, of an inadequate system of religion. And, and without reading it all, the law... They, the, the writer, and, and I'm just going to say Paul because uh, it seems like, you know, Paul, this is, it seems like he wrote this and sounds like he wrote this and yet there's no uh, clear delineation about who wrote it. So if I say Paul, just understand, um, that's just my understanding of it and I'm just trying to make it a little bit more palatable. Okay, so don't call me a heretic, in other words, okay. So what he says is the law and sacrifices were never good enough to take away their sins. He starts this chapter by saying, that you've got, you, you know, you go to the law, you have the sacrifices, you have these animals and these bulls and these goats, and every year you'd have to go back and re-offer them. And the reason you had to re-offer those animals in the temple is because last year's offering wasn't good enough to take away all your sins. You had sinned since then and you had to go back. In addition to the daily offerings that took place um, every year on the Day of Atonement. There was a, a big offering for the sins of all people. In, in verse 2 it talks about their conscience. And, and the idea is if, they had, if those sacrifices had been good enough... They would have had a clear conscience. They would have known that those sacrifices were good enough, but they knew that they weren't good enough, so it weighed on them. And they had, a, they had an unclear conscience. They, their, their conscience knew they needed to go back and, and make another sacrifice. And so every year, they would have to be reminded of their sinfulness. Every year, they'd have to go back and offer um, because they knew that, that these offerings weren't good enough, but they were still sinners. So they would take this imperfect blood of a lamb or of a, of, a bull, of a bull or a goat. They would take these offerings and give them, but it was imperfect blood. Imperfect blood can't wash away sins permanently. But then something wonderful happened. Along came a perfect lamb. The writer then... He, he quotes a prophecy from Psalm 40 um, in these verses and, and, and about the promise of Jesus Christ. And when Christ came along, look at verse 9. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. In other words, you have over here the original plan, God's original plan, which is the blood of animals. And every day and every year you'd come and you'd re-sacrifice and you'd shed their blood. But then along comes a perfect lamb with sinless blood. And that perfect lamb says, I'm going to do away with the first plan. I'm going to do away with the old way. I've got a new and living way. And my new and living way means that one time I die and everybody's sins can be washed away. He did away with that first plan. Verse 10, it says, By the which we will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's all it takes. He died once for every sin. He died once for every person. He died for everybody. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how wicked you think you are. Jesus died and in in shed his blood enough to forgive every sin you've ever committed. Not just yours, but the person beside you. The person on the other side of you. And the person behind you. 
and the person that lives by you and the person all the way around the world and the person that lived 2,000 years ago and if the earth is still around the person that will live in 2,000 years, his blood is enough to save every person. Aren't you thankful for that? One offering 2,000 years ago. I mean, I kind of wish it worked that way when it comes to gifts for my wife. Hey, one gift. It covers every anniversary, every birthday. But no, she expects one every time. But it becomes very clear very quickly. Jesus Christ is just better. I mean, that's the point. Jesus Christ is just better. And his blood satisfied God's wrath when a bull or a sheep or an, a lamb and, and some animal, their blood could not satisfy the wrath of God. But Jesus Christ did satisfy the wrath of God. In fact, he poured his wrath out on his son, Jesus Christ, who, who took our, uh, the wrath that we deserved, took it upon himself and satisfied it. Listen, there's the point that, that we come to is there's no comparison between the old way and the new way. I mean, there's no comparison. It'd be like, um, you know, if you got used to eating at Pizza Ranch for a lot of years. And then you come to realize that you're going to have to take out a second mortgage to continue eating at Pizza Ranch. So the next Sunday afternoon, when it's time to go to Pizza Ranch and your pockets are empty, you say, okay, well, let's go pick up Little Caesars. So you go get Little Caesars and take it home, and while you're eating it, you know, you're thinking, this is not Pizza Ranch. <laughs> Some things just don't compare. If you, have, if you go from an Android to an iPhone. Oh, boy, now we're going to have a church split now. <laughs> if you go from a Ford to a Chevy. See, I know the buttons to push. Yeah. No, there are some things that just don't compare. And, and, when, and the writer uh, is just saying the old way, it, it just was inadequate. It, it was the plan that God had. It was what we were supposed to do. But when you look at Jesus, there's no comparison. I mean, it's so much better. And, and what he's telling them is they could have confidence in the new and living way. Look at 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. He's saying we have boldness in our position in Christ because our sins have been completely taken care of. Uh, Christ did what animals couldn't do. And we can have confidence in our ability to go to God because we have a high priest. His name is Jesus. He didn't just die for our sins. He intercedes on our behalf every time we go to God in prayer. And look what he says. Here should be the result of Jesus Christ being better. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What he says is we can have full assurance of faith because of who died for us and what he's done with our sins. Christ is better. He's just better. So you can have full confidence in God's plan for salvation. And if you've come in here and you have an old plan and your plan is, I've got to work really hard and I've got to do everything I can 
to please God and, and, and I've got to be religious and I've got to go to church uh, to make him happy and I've got to work and work. Listen, that's a burden and that old way is not good enough. And so Jesus Christ came and shed his blood on the cross for your sins and that is better than your plan. And today it's time for you to release your plan and say, this isn't good enough. I'm looking to Jesus Christ. You can have full confidence. You can have full assurance that what he did is enough for you. It's better than the old plan. He took care of your biggest problem, which is sin. So what else is there to worry about? That's it. You'd think that'd be the end of the chapter. You know, you think, hey, this is all, all this is true about Jesus. You can have full confidence in his plan. That's it. I mean, cut, paste, print, turn off the lights, let's go home. But that's not where the passage ends. Because there's a problem that gets introduced in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. See, we're doubters by nature. I mean, we have all of this evidence that Jesus Christ is better. But, but, but Paul, he still has to say, um, but you've got to hold fast to your faith. The, 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 the challenge, the fight is not over. Because you will waver. And I'm assuming that wavering for these folks meant this is where they were and what they used to do. Now they've placed their faith in Jesus. But there's all these people around them saying, well, are you Jesus? Who's that? We need to go back to the old way. Because that way seems a lot better. That way makes it, it makes it that you're taking matters into your own hands. You can do it yourself. I'm not sure about Jesus. See, these voices started to appear and tell them that there, there's probably not enough confidence in the new way. You need to go back with the old way. I mean, that's even with them knowing Jesus died, knowing he did away with their sin, knowing his blood is enough one, once for all, knowing they had full access to God, knowing that, that they could have all the confidence they ever wanted in Jesus Christ, but they still were wavering. And we still waver. To waver means to bow or recline or fall back. The way it's used here is based on the idea of an upright building or an upright uh, object that's not inclining at all one way or the other. Standing nice and straight the way it's supposed to. It kind of reminds me of the leaning tower of Pisa, you know. And I've not seen that with my own eyes, but I've seen pictures. And, and you know, the thing is it's leaning and you have to take a picture where you're holding it so the building doesn't fall over on you. You know, have you, you haven't seen that. Okay, so that's, that's on my bucket list. You know, Pisa is, is wavering. The Leaning Tower of Pisa is meant to stand up nice and tall, but it's leaning. And there's a related word actually in chapter 11. Just look one chapter over, verse 34, chapter 11, verse 34. Hebrews eleven thirty-four. it says this. They quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Say, so, see, the Bible's a sci-fi book. No, aliens simply meaning those from a foreign country, those that from a foreign land. It says the phrase there is turn to flight. 
And, and that's the same, that's, that comes from the same word from which we see in Hebrews chapter 10, the word wavering. And it's the same root word. So the idea is as opposed to standing firm, as opposed to standing in your place, straight up and down, not leaning one way or leaning the other way or leaning back or leaning forward, instead of standing right where you're supposed to, they turn to flight. And this, this concept is talking about those heroes of the faith, like Samson, who stood their ground and turned to flight the armies of the enemy. The armies of the enemy turned to flight. In other words, they didn't remain standing, thankfully, because of God's help, those heroes of the faith turned them to flight. Well, see, that's what's happening in, 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 in the writing of Hebrews 10. He's saying, there, there are too many of you wavering. Meaning that when you should be standing nice and tall, nice straight up and down, not wavering, not leaning. I feel like leaning, leaning, leaning. I feel like singing the song. No, you're not leaning. You're standing up nice and straight. Uh, but instead, some of you are turning to flight. You're wavering. Rather than standing strong, the enemy comes along and you're not standing anymore. You're gone. Why? Well, I mean... It, it, we have a perfect savior. I mean, we, we have full confidence. His blood is enough. Once for all, we have all of these reasons um, to stand strong. But it's not the first time God's people have wavered. I mean, Elijah wavered. Remember, he sat depressed and, and said, I just want to die. You know, he said, nobody else is here with me. And God said, no, 7,000 are still haven't bowed to Baal. But he wavered. Gideon wavered. I mean, he had the promises of God, but he said, oh, but here's a fleece. Can he just show me? Give me one more sign. I mean, uh, Peter stumbled. Thomas doubted. John the Baptist, when he was in prison, he sent his followers to say, are you, are you really the one? You're the one we're looking for? He doubted. Listen, we waver. We have a perfect Savior, but we waver. We have all that we need, but we waver. We have full confidence, but we waver. And here's why I believe that we doubt, because there are countless opposing voices in our lives constantly telling us um, that Jesus Christ isn't enough. We live in a culture that's telling us we don't need something as archaic and old-fashioned as an organized religion. Uh, so we start thinking, well, is it necessary? Uh, you know, our neighbors are telling us, you know, we're going out on the lake on Sunday. And every Sunday, y'all have to get up and get dressed and go to church. I mean, wouldn't you like to just hang out for the weekend? Well, yeah, we would. And so we start wavering. And we tell ourselves, you know, I can watch from home. It'll be the same. And other voices are saying, no, you can meet God in the mountains. And, and others say, who needs God? Just be your own God. And the secular crowd is saying, there is no God. You can't even prove it. Faith is empty. Once we die, that's all there is. So eat, drink, and be merry. And we have lots of reasons to be confident. We have confidence in Jesus Christ. But we waver because of all these opposing voices in our life. And Paul, he wrote to the Hebrews, knowing that their faith, if they're not careful, the faith will be fragile. Because of all these opposing voices causing them to doubt. So he says, here's how to hold fast. And I'm going to give you three points, and they're even alliterated. So God was really with me in my study this week. Here's how to hold fast to faith in a culture of doubt. Here's how to hold fast to faith in a culture of doubt. Number one, remember God's word. 
Verse 23, what does he say? Uh, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. See, doubting is primarily the result. Listen, it's primarily the result of removing ourselves from the influence of God's word in our lives. The further that you stray from this book, the more you're going to doubt. So then faith cometh by hearing, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Our faith, or the strength of our faith is directly connected to us putting ourselves in a position to hear God's word. See, obviously this means you need to read it and study it on your own. And you might say, well, why do I need to study? I can just come to church. No, listen, the Bible is called the bread of life. You don't just eat on Sundays. If you just eat on Sundays, you'll have no strength the rest of the week. No, you must eat for yourself Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I'm preaching to Jonah right here. You need to start eating, buddy. Come on. (laughs) For those of you that don't know, we're laughing at his calamity this morning. No, Jonah hasn't been able to eat hardly at all since March. He's got a medical condition. And I'm telling you, he will attest to this. He would be the first one in the room to tell you today, eating is important. You need to eat every day. Don't just wait for your pastor to come along on Sunday morning and Sunday night or Wednesday night and feed you. Even three times is not enough. You need to eat every day. You need to put yourself in a position to read and study God's word on your own. But not just read and study God's word on your own. He says hearing. We need to put ourselves in a position to hear God's word. So you must put yourself in a position to hear the God's word read and taught and preached if you want to hold fast. It's the remembering of God's word and God's promises that gives us confidence in our faith. Uh, Stop trying to do it alone. You're not meant to. You have a resource at your fingertips. It's called God's word. Open it. You'll have a lot more confidence when you face the difficulties of life if you have a resource telling you what to do along the way. The reason some of you are doubting in your faith is because you've removed yourself from the influence of God's word in your life. And you cannot have confidence in your faith if you don't continually remind yourself of God's promises. We need to remind ourselves every day. It's so easy to forget what he says. There are countless voices causing you to doubt. You need God's word as a voice to counter from the other side. You want to hold fast to your faith in a culture of doubt. Second, you need to recognize the importance of others to the strength of your faith. So remember God's word, but second, recognize the importance of other people. When it comes to the strength of your faith. See, faith is lived out in a community. That's the, that's the New Testament way. And we, with a group of other believers who encourage and help you along the way. Lone rangers make bad Christians. God's design for your growth takes place around other believers. That's, the, that's why the passage says, look what it says. It says, consider one another. So let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, verse 24, and let us consider one another. You know, we're very self-focused, aren't we? That's why, the, I mean, we're, we primarily consider ourselves. I preached a message to the young people at camp, and, uh, and the first thought of most of our, in most of our minds, our first thought is, well, what about me? How does this impact me? How does this inconvenience me? How does this make me look? How will this impact my plans? 
We're very self-focused. If we're honest, we're very self-focused. And one great effect of being part of a local church is that you have to consider others. It's not about you anymore. That's why it says consider one another. Is that you start to make your decisions um, not based on how it makes you feel, but how it impacts somebody else. And I'm telling you, there are times uh, in my life and, and people that are regular attenders and, and they serve regularly here. And the reason they're here is because somebody here is expecting them to be here. And I'm not saying that, that that's the way your motivation should always work. There should come a time in your life where it's not about somebody else's expectation, but it's the fact that you love God and want to please him. But there are times, aren't there, on a Sunday morning when you don't feel like it. And in those times, you must have something driving you. Besides the love of God, you must know that there are people counting on you. I'm telling you, that's a help in accountability to know that somebody's leaning on you. Some of you teach classes, and the reason that you're faithful is because you see the faces of those little six and seven-year-olds in your class. And you know, if you don't show up, nobody's there to teach them. And, and you know, there are some of you that are in the choir and you know, listen, if, if I don't show up, this person's gone this week and that person, and Brother Samuel will tell you, it seems like everybody's always gone at the same time. And the choir's like a trio sometimes. And you say, no, I've got to be in my place. I want to be right where I'm supposed to be because Brother Samuel is expecting me and the church is expecting me to be there. Listen, it's time for us, maturity means that we stop only thinking, what about me? And we start thinking, well, what about everybody else? Consider one another. He also says, provoke one another. Consider one another, verse 23, uh, to provoke. So, so consider to provoke. And provoke means to incite or irritate. And you say, there's plenty of people at church that fill that role perfectly. And it's like riding in a car with my sister. We'd go on road trips. My, and we'd get in some kind of a scuffle. My parents would say, no, this line. Neither of you cross that line. You stay on your side. You stay on your side. And inevitably, as soon as my dad turns around, one of us fingers right up next to the line. We're inciting each other to violence, irritation. You know, provocation is not only negative, though. See, you can incite and irritate, not just in a negative way, in a positive way. You can be on somebody enough to help them to take the steps they need to. So church is not just about you. You consider others. And sometimes you have to provoke others. We have men in our church who, when they notice something in somebody else's life, they're, they're willing and lovingly to say it. To reach out. We have ladies in our church. They're willing to reach out and to say something. Not because we look down. We're provoking. This is not that. It's not just about me. I've got to provoke. And he says unto love and good works. The point of provocation is not to make them mad. It's to help them take a step in their Christian life. But here's how it happens. You can't do these things unless you come together. So you consider one another and you provoke one another and then you assemble with one another, he says. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. See, coming together consistently is what keeps your faith with, from wavering. Without it, you will start to lean. You'll eventually fall over. So listen, you need time with your church family. 
You need the preaching and the teaching of God's word. You need the fellowship. You need the headship. You need the partnership. Uh, you need the provocation. You need the reminders to do love and to love and to do good works. Why? Because there are so many voices causing you to doubt. Internal voices, external voices. Our culture is saying, organize religion. Who needs that? It's archaic. It's a thing of the past. And the trend today, like we see in verse 25, it says, not forsaking the assembling of, of ourselves together as the manner of some is. See, that's happening now. The manner of some is that you don't need it. And, and, and this, think about it. In this passage, we're just talking a few decades after Jesus Christ. There's already a movement to say, we don't need church. He says, as the manner of some is, there are already people minimizing the importance of church. And we need to understand that we have voices pulling us in every direction. And I'm going to just use an illustration here. If I could get you two guys, one, two, Dakota, three, four, five, Sammy, six. I just need three guys on this side, three, three guys on this side. So just come up. I'm going to stand in the middle. Okay, so it doesn't matter. It's tug of war. So you may want to pick the strongest looking team. <laughs> I'm over here. Okay, so, so what we have then in, our, in life is we have constantly opposing influences. And so if you're a child of God, then you have, you have some good influences in your life. Um, you have... Maybe you have, we'll just say that, that Jonah here represents the word of God. That's a good influence. You need that influence in your life. So Jonah represents the word of God. And we'll say that, that, that Sammy represents your church. Okay, and then we'll say that Dakota represents godly friends. So I need you guys to hold hands. Yep. Okay. It's just so awkward. Come over here. Okay, here we are. Red Rover. Um, now listen, I know it's awkward. His hands are super sweaty, so <laughs> not really. Um, so it, if this is all the influence you have in life, you're doing pretty good. I've got God's word. I have my local church. I have good friends that love God. And if they're pulling on me, so just kind of pull on me a little bit. Give a little pressure here, all three of you. Yeah, they're pulling on me. There you go. Okay, yeah. There you go. They're pulling on me. Listen, if this is all the influence in my life, I'm doing pretty good. Okay, you can let go. Okay, but be ready. Dry them off. <laughs> we got to come back to it. But we also, come on over here, buddy. I need you all to hold hands. Yep, okay. But on the other side of life, you also have your pride. Self. And as opposed to God's word, your pride says, I can do this on my own. And so that's pulling against you. And then you also have culture saying, you don't need church. And then you have other influences like friends and coworkers who may not love God, and they're pulling too. And so not only do you have this side, okay, go ahead and hold hands. You have this side pulling you for good. Now you've got this side over here pulling, go ahead and pull. You got this side pulling you this direction. Okay, careful. I have a, I mean, I have a, a basically reconstructed sh shoulder, so don't. 
So, so understand, you've got good influences, but you also have other voices constantly pulling you. And here's the thing. Let's say, so pull, no, not so hard, be nice to me, I'm old. So pull, now let's say that one day you say, man, I don't have time to read my Bible. And you start making a habit of not reading your Bible, so then God's word steps back. And now you step forward. But now you have one less, per, one less influence now pulling you the right direction. So now you're leaning a little bit more this way. And then you get a job and your job makes you work on Wednesday nights or some Sunday nights. And instead of faithfully being in church, you kind of start missing church too. So church steps out. And you may still have some old friends, but man, the, the pull is a lot stronger this way now, right? And then eventually your new job, you, you find yourself surrounded by a whole new group of people. And those people that used to help you and provoke you to love and good works and encourage and help you. Now you completely separate yourself from them. And now what happens? You're pulled completely over here. Because you, yes, thank you. Because, <laughs> no, be, because listen, this side over here never stops pulling. Your pride never goes away. The culture never quits. Those influence, never, influences never stop telling you what you don't need to hear. There's always other voices. So what we must do, and we can just pretend, step back forward. We'll pretend to hold hands. What we must do, yeah, don't have to do it. It's fine. Okay, we'll pretend. <laughs> what we must do then is assume it's always going to be these guys over here. But then add some other influences over here. You know, I need another friend, I need church more, I need the Bible more. Right now is not the time to let go of this side. Because I always have influences over here trying to get me to go to the wrong direction. Thank you guys. You can go wash your hands, sanitize. No, that's where we're at. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. Is that we, we tend to think, well, you know, uh, life is busy or I have these doubts. And, and so right now I just need to step back. No, that's the worst time to step back. See, you have all these voices on this side, all these voices on this side. And you're going to release some on this side. You're going to find yourself falling, leaning, wavering, turning to fight. Because you did not continue to give yourself influences on this side. I mean, he says, here's another one another. He says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. There's another one another. Uh, we're supposed to consider one another, provoke one another, assemble with one another, and exhort one with one another. That just simply means to cheer on, to encourage. You don't need fewer voices to help you with your faith. You need more voices. You need stronger voices. You need to add more influences on this side because the further we go, the more we need voices of faith. And the worse things get, the more you need God's word. And the worse our culture gets, the more you need a local church family. The last thing that you should do right now is become unattached from this side over here. And here's the final thought. If you want to hold fast uh, in a culture of doubt, you must remember God's word and you must recognize the importance of others. And then third, you must realize that your time is short. He says, uh, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You need church because time is slipping away. 
How many of you struggle to get up in the morning sometimes? Okay, yeah, let's be honest. So your alarm clock, let's say, goes off at 5.30. You have a routine. You're trying to read your Bible, trying to pray, eat your breakfast, exercise, save the world, be at work at 8. It's hard to get up sometimes. 5.30 rolls around and you become a snoozer. Snooze, snooze, snooze. Well, one day 5.30 rolls around and you kind of roll over it, but this time you smell smoke. And you start to cough and choke. In that situation, are you going to snooze your alarm? No, I can tell you, as soon as the smoke detector goes off, you're up. You got to figure out what's going on. Here's the difference. It's urgency. And the reason some of you are putting off your commitment to a local church. Yeah, you've got God's word in your, my, your, your life. And yeah, you're, you know how important it is for other people. Um, but the reason some of you have not engaged or committed is because you think you have a long time. And you think, I got plenty of time. I don't have to do this right now. But what Paul says is so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, there's urgency. You don't have forever. Now's the time to say, no, it's time for me to commit. It's time for me to be all in because there's urgency. There, the day is approaching, meaning that you could be standing before God by this time next week. You, could, you may not see the end of 2023. He may come back in one year. And if you knew he was coming back in one year, what you need to do is say, okay, if he's coming back one year from now, then his priorities need to be my priorities. If he's coming back in one year, then I'm going to make sure the most important things to God are the most important things to me. I'm going to make the most of my last year. I'm going to give myself to the important things. And as you read the New Testament and try to figure out what are the things that matter the most to God... You'd be hard-pressed to come away without saying the local church. So we are at a place where we must understand there is urgency. And he says that phrase, it's not less, it's not time to pull back. No, he says so much the more as you see the day approaching. Because you holding fast to your faith, listen... You holding fast to your faith is dependent on the priority you place on your local church. I'm not saying you can't have faith without it. I'm just saying you're not meant to have faith without it. You want to hold fast to your faith in a culture of doubt? Remember God's word. Recognize the importance of other people to your faith. And then realize that your time is short. We don't have time to mess around. It's time to change some habits. It's time to commit to serving. It's time to stop assuming you have forever. No, find that which matters most to God and give your life to it. The strength of your faith is dependent on the priority you place on your local church. That's the message of Hebrews 10. So the question today is, will you heed it? See, if your faith is dependent on the priority of church in your life, how's that going? You have a church home? Do you have a church family that keeps you accountable? Is there a group of people that expect you to be here? And when you're not, they're like, wow, that's different. Where are they? 
And listen, I'm not just talking Sunday mornings. I mean Sunday night, Wednesday night. And you say, well, Sunday morning is enough. Well, but what about so much the more as you see the day approaching? Meaning, I, I would be justified as the pastor to say, we're going to start meeting seven days a week. I'm not saying we're going to do that. But there's a better biblical precedent to say we're meeting every day than there is we're going to start meeting less. Because it's so much the more as you see the day approaching. So do you, do you need to recommit to your ministry, to your service? Maybe most important is this. It's not just about you. See, we're supposed to consider one another. To provoke, to assemble, to exhort and encourage and when, you're, when you aren't in your place, somebody doesn't get considered. And if someone else doesn't get provoked. Maybe someone doesn't get encouraged. And you think, well, it's all about me, whether or not I can make it or whether or not it's convenient. It's not all about you. There's somebody in that church family, in this place, on a Sunday that may need the words you have to say to keep going. And when you don't show, then you have it considered one another you haven't provoked you haven't encouraged because you haven't assembled and maybe the application for you is that you've made church about you and you fail to recognize you have a responsibility to help somebody else holding fast to faith in a culture of doubt is not easy friends we need each other you need a church somebody needs you and time is running out Will you prioritize what Christ died for? Because the strength of our faith is dependent on the priority we place on Christ's church. How much priority do you place on this place? Are you here every time? Are you on time? Are you engaged? Are you looking at it like I want to go and be a blessing to somebody? Or is it all about how it helps or doesn't help you it's time to shift our thinking about this issue of the local church we're running out of time and it's time to prioritize that which matters most to God let's stand together we'll have a verse of invitation here in just a moment I'll pray as the Lord has spoken to you today would you would you consider responding to the truth for those that may not have a church home maybe it's time for you to consider getting plugged in and say, this is the place I think I need to be. And maybe it's just time to realize it's no, there's no reason to wait anymore. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, maybe you're here today and you don't know that you're saved. We talked about the blood of Jesus Christ. Once for all, it was enough to cleanse every sin. And maybe today's the day for you to place your faith in Jesus and stop battling that in your own life. Would you do that today? Church member, maybe it's time to stop viewing church as something that's only for you or when it conveniences you. And it's time for you to consider there are other people to consider. There are other people to provoke. There are other people to encourage. And I can't do that if I'm not assembling here. Instead of making it about us, maybe we should consider others. However the Lord has worked, however the Holy Spirit is making this apply to you, would you respond to the conviction that the Holy Spirit is working on your heart in right now. Father, we thank you for the word. Pray that you'd help us to apply it. Lord, help us to be willing to step out and be courageous if you have a decision for us to make. In Jesus' name.